your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we'll be there in just a little bit. We have been uh, on a journey together, maybe even we can call it a walk together since, since we celebrated Easter and the resurrection, right? Romans 6, 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In the New King James Version, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And we have used the resurrection as a springboard, really, the last few weeks to say, okay, in a new covenant relationship with Jesus through faith, we're put into a new covenant relationship. We're in union with him. We're identified with him. We're what the Bible says in Christ. Romans 6, 4 says, well, okay, your, your union with Christ identifies you with his death, burial, and resurrection with a purpose that we as believers may walk in newness of life, a new quality of life. And we've been asking ourselves, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? How do we do this? What does this new quality of life look like? What are some practical things that I can do daily to really appropriate and then enjoy new life? And, and it, it's interesting uh, when, when I, when I kind of reflect on all these years of ministry and, and trying to encourage people to walk with Jesus. The word enjoyment doesn't really come up much when I say how... How are you doing with Jesus? Oh, well, pastor, if you only knew, right? Or how's it going? Oh, boy, it's been a rough week. It's actually been, been infrequent when I said, hey, how are you doing with Jesus? And someone says, I'm enjoying him. I'm enjoying Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that life is hunky-dory and there's no problems, but why is it that when we think about a relationship with Jesus, we very rarely say, I'm enjoying him. I'm enjoying him. Now, if I were to ask a married couple, everyone's like, oh, oh. I said, Marco, how you, how's your relationship with Molly? Yeah, okay, great, good answer, good answer, right? He's like, really? I'm supposed to answer? Is that not rhetorical? You're not just going to... Right? What if every time I ask Marco, Marco, how's your relationship with Molly? Oh, whew, it's been a week. One of them, there weeks. Oh, oh, pastor, it's a struggle. Every day. Struggling to spend time with her. We don't talk much. Can you imagine if, he, if, every, if the way he characterized his relationship with the woman that he's in covenant with was just sort of this, whoo. Pray for me, brother. Right? Every time. Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Versus, hey, Marco, how's your relationship with Molly? Yeah, right? It's getting better. You're loving this, right? And then the next time, hey, Marco, how's your relationship with Molly? Yeah, right? (laughs) Right? Doesn't it change everything? Right? Because what does the Bible say in James? Count it all joy. When things are perfect, 
No, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? Because there's a purpose. Joy in the Bible is a deep joy out of your relationship with Jesus, not circumstance. So we can be having joy. We can actually be enjoying Christ at a deep heart level, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of, of, a, of a down week or a down day, right? And just to say that, right, I'm guessing, right, it makes you smile to say fantastic, awesome, right? Suddenly like, oh, yeah, it is good. And then for you to hear that, you scored some points, huh, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So think about Jesus. You ever think about how Jesus feels when you characterize your relationship with him in certain ways? Hey, how's your relationship with Jesus? It's a struggle. Hey, how's it going with Jesus? He's like, really? I thought we were good, Mark. I thought, right? Can you imagine how Jesus feels when, when we're just sort of negatively characterizing as a whole our relationship with him? Where he said, hey, I came to give you abundant life. Well, how's it going? Oh, geez. Right? Because he said we're, we're to walk in this new quality of life, foundationally in a, in a union with him, and then as we've seen in Romans 6, 4, springboarding out of the resurrection. Right? The supernatural act of the resurrection, being supernaturally indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's a springboard, right, that we too may live a new life, newness of life, right? And so we've been looking at that. I encourage you, if you haven't been here, you can listen to the messages online to kind of catch up a little bit but last week we saw in ephesians 2 i'm just going to jump to ephesians 2 we looked in ephesians it says and god raised us up with christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in christ right there's our union our identification in order that purpose statement in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in christ jesus right what we saw was like the reason that he raised us up with Christ, the reason he enables us to walk in newness of life is that how we live is to give him glory. How we live is to be a living testimony to the valley, to your neighbors, to your own family members, to your co-workers. People need to see that God is alive and well. Amen? Right? You know that movie God is not dead, right? Well, sometimes in without realizing, you don't realize that people are wondering if this God thing is real. They're wondering if Christianity, you know, it's, it's interesting when people say, if Christianity works. Does it work? Well, I get what they mean, but, but sometimes they want to know if it works because they're looking at you who profess to be a believer. Right? And, and God says that he raised us up with Christ. He enables us to walk in newness of life that we can declare his glory. That we can be living in, in, in First Peter, it says testimonies, billboards, advertisements, living advertisements of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a passionate follower of Jesus. Romans 1.20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that, the, so that men are without excuse. It's the same principle when you look at the topa topas or wherever you go and you say, man, look at that, that's God. Right? You ever been out there and you've just been overwhelmed by nature, God's creation? You say, how, how can people see this and, and, and not know that there's a God, a creator, right? He uses the same words when he talks about us. That someone should look at our life and go, whoa, are you serious? 
I've seen a transformation in you. God, there must be a God, because I know you before, Scott. That's a testimony. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to feel weird about. That if someone says, not only you're a Christian, but you do what? And you're what? Right? I've shared with you before my own sort of awkwardness. And I grew up in San Diego. And I was not a believer through high school. And uh, the, the sort of the weird feeling when I go back and I see some of my friends. And they ask what I do. So what do you do now? I haven't seen you since high school. I'm a pastor. <laughs> You're a what? You? I remember pastor football games with you. And you're a what? See, I can, I can get real awkward about it. I can say, dude, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. You just flip it because that's why he does it. That's why he does it. Sometimes when we become believers with the best of intentions, we begin to isolate ourselves, right? Because you don't want to hang out with the people you used to hang out with. And, and I get that. The trouble with that is if after a, a period of time we're so removed from the world, how are they ever going to see a living testimony? Now, I'm not saying, you know, go, go jump back into your sinful nature. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is sometimes we have to be careful that we don't, we don't become so withdrawn and so isolated that the world no longer has any living testimonies amongst them. That was the testimony of the early church, right? They got saved. They, got, they met Jesus. They were being transformed, and they just went right back. And they turned their towns and their villages upside down. They're like, really? This is Jesus did this in you, right? So we can't fear the world. And in fact, we're encouraged to say, hey, world, by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? Ephesians 2.10 said, last week we saw, we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We saw that word workmanship really means masterpiece. You and I are God's masterpieces. He's working on us. He has a plan. He's intentional. He has design. He has purpose. He's not done with you yet. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's just not done with me. Go ahead. Just say, hey, he's not done with me. Right? Right? He's not done with me. And then turn to the saints, turn to them and say, and by the way, I'm a masterpiece. <laughs> See? Okay. Now that's a little bit. See, here's the thing. It's easier for us to say he's not done with me because we live in this world of less than and all my faults and failures. And then when I say, turn to someone and say, he, I'm a masterpiece. I'm a masterpiece. Right? We have to learn to embrace what God says about us with the same belief and conviction that we do about being saved by grace through faith. See, we're saved by grace through faith, right? That's what the Bible says. And many of us have put our faith in Jesus, and we're, right? No question. Amen? We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. We, we, that's a conviction. It's a belief. Why? Because that's what Scripture says. Well, Scripture says you're God's workmanship. Do you believe that with the same level of conviction? Right? Why don't we? It's the same God, same truth, came out of the same book. But now that it's about you? Really? 
Really? And we saw that sometimes as believers, we saw last week, what we try to do is we come to Christ and we know he's transforming us. And so we try to like hide and make, you know, see, dress up Sunday. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Kids obeyed me 100% today. Right? Everything's great. Versus just embracing that God is transforming me, including the brokenness of my life. That me being a masterpiece includes all of me, all of my story. In Christ, I don't have to be ashamed, embarrassed of where I come from because I'm a new creation. Amen? I'm a new creation. Right? And we saw a beautiful image of this in uh, Kintsugi, the Japanese art of Kintsugi, where they take broken pottery and they put it back together with a special lacquer that's, that's mixed with gold powder. And the end product is actually more beautiful than the one that was unbroken. And we saw last week that, that this is just you and me. We're the masterpiece. We're all broken. We've all got our stuff. And day in and day out as we walk with Christ, he's just putting it back together. And he's just, he's just using it. And it's all, you're like, what, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love this picture because this is the church. As much as we gather on a Sunday and, you know, we, we right? We got it all together. Things are good, right? But the truth be known, we've peeled back the veneer. This is us. This is just us in this room right now. In Christ. In Christ. He's just making the broken beautiful. He's just making the broken beautiful. And we can be free. And we can say, okay, yeah, gosh. I don't have to live in the past. I can be free. Because we know that God in the new covenant, he remembers our sin. What? No more. No more. How many of you have a file cabinet of shoulda, woulda, couldas? File cabinet. How many have a file cabinet of regret? Shame. Guilt. Right? Oh, how many have a file cabinet of what were you thinking? Right? All of that we carry around with us. And God says, no, in my eyes, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Walk with me and let me turn your brokenness into something beautiful. My masterpiece. And here's the crazy thing. You're my masterpiece for my glory. For my glory. That's why he's doing it. Now, we reap the benefit of that, right? He transforms us. He heals us. He changes our attitudes. He changes our language. He brings new people into our life. We reap the benefit of this covenant relationship, but ultimately it's all designed to point to him, point to him, point to him, right? And so as we walk in this this walk together, I thought, why is it that we struggle then? Because if I were to, if I were to pull us this morning and say, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, how many of you want to walk in that newness of life? How many of you want that abundant life? How many of you just want that, right, that resurrection life that he's talking about? I'm guessing most, if not all of us would, would, yeah, I want that. Gosh, I could have that. Yeah. So where are we, where are we bound? Where, maybe where are we struggling? Why can't we just be free? Why can't we just embrace it? Right? And just leave here and go, Boom. What is it? And 
And I thought of, of, of a little tool, a little spectrum that, that I shared with you several times over the last couple, several years from Robert McGee from his book, Search for Significance. And there's this, there's this continuum, beliefs, thoughts, emotions, and actions, right? I shared this with you. That if you really want to know what's going on in your life, really want to know why you do what you do, you got to trace it all the way back to your beliefs. Conscious and unconscious, right? A lot of times Christianity becomes very action-oriented, a bunch of do's and don'ts, and we just try to correct the actions. Well, you should. Well, you shouldn't. A good Christian does this. A good Christian doesn't do this. And we live in the action world when really what you really need to do is you ask yourself, do I really believe this? What do I really believe? Someone once asked this great question. Do you believe what you say you believe? Do you really believe it? Right? Because your beliefs will lead to thoughts. Your thoughts create emotions or feelings, which ultimately leads to actions. And I've shared this with you before. Bill used to skydive. Right? So at the core level, he believed that skydiving was safe. Right? Amen, right? And how many jumps have you done? did you do in your life approximately? About a thousand jumps. Right? Someone shaking their head. How many of you would never jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Okay. You just have different beliefs. You just have different beliefs. And so, Cindy, if we were going to get you to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, I can't bribe you. I can't, like, me and Josh can't pick you up and then just like, Woo! Pull the plug! Pull it when you go! Right? Right? But in order for you to willingly go up and just go, we would have to work on your beliefs. You would would change your belief. It would change your thoughts from from death to excitement. (laughs) Right? Your, Your feelings would change, and then you would do it. Right? So we would have to deal at the belief level. Well, sometimes in our life as believers, we come to church, we, we kind of, oh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, and, and I'm stuck here, and I'm still bound, and da, 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 and we leave here purposing to change our actions, when really you should leave here maybe saying, Lord, do I need to focus on my belief? Do I really believe this? Do I really believe I'm your workmanship? Do I really believe... I'm a masterpiece in your hand, right? We have to stay there because our beliefs in this newness of life help us to even ward off the influences of the world, right? In Colossians 2, this is where we're going to move in today. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. All right, if you have your Bibles there. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. The Apostle Paul is speaking to believers, and what he's doing here is he's trying to answer false teaching and influences of the world that are coming into the church, okay? And I want you to really get how he says, this is your approach, this is what you're supposed to do regarding these influences of the world, right? He's not really dealing with actions, he's going to get to their belief, their heart level. So Colossians 2, 8 through 10 says this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world 
rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. There's another version of of verse 8. It says this, Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. He's saying, hey, believers, watch out. Beware. Right? Have a discerning spirit at all times. That's what he's saying in verse 8, right? You've got to be able to know what's really biblical and what's of the world. You've got to have a discerning spirit, right? Great example in Acts 17.11. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true, right? So there's a lot of things bombarding us. The Berean Jews were hearing things, and they're like, eh, let me check that out. Ah, let me, let me, let me examine that, not just because Pastor Richie said. Let's just, let's just check this out, right? Where it, where it says in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive, it's a military image, meaning, hey, don't let anyone come in, snatch you away, and carry you off as a captive, Right? By what? What he says here? Hollow and deceptive philosophy. There was false teaching coming into the church, very prevalent, called Gnosticism. Some of you are familiar with Gnosticism. They would separate the carnal, the matter, from the spiritual and knowledge. Matter to them was evil. Salvation and knowing God was all about spiritual knowledge, secret knowledge, Right? It was false teaching because it impacted their view of Jesus, that, no, Jesus couldn't really have been human because matter is evil, right? So the Gnostics were coming in. There was legalism. There was mysticism. There was a whole lot of stuff coming into the church. And Paul's like, hey, church, beware. Beware. Don't be taken captive. Very similar to the culture we live in. There's a lot coming at us. There's a lot coming at us on TV, in the valley, Right? He says, hey, church, beware, be very captive, be very, be very careful, have discerning spirits all the time that you're not taken captive. Right? By how he describes hollow and deceptive philosophy. Right? Now, he's not talking about philosophy in general, which is just about wisdom and, and all that. That's it. He's not talking. He's talking about specific when he says hollow and deceptive philosophy. He's talking about Gnosticism and false teaching here. Right? He says, and this is, it depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Say, hey, hey, be careful. Don't be taken captive by things that are based on man and the world system. Right? Don't be taken captive by that. Be discerning. And what's really interesting where it says the basic principles of the world, there's a second definition to that. And it has to do with, and here's the definition, the elemental spirits of the universe the angels that influence the heavenly bodies. You know what he's talking about? About not being taken captive in that regard? Astrology. Things of the universe. In this time frame, astrology was huge. And people thought that world events were governed by the stars in the universe. So in a very real sense to us, he's even saying, hey, church, be real careful even about that. Even about that, right? It says this. They were saying, in effect, Hey, Jesus Christ is all very well. He can do much for you. 
but he cannot enable you to escape from your subjection to the stars. We alone have the secret knowledge which can enable you to do that. So astrology was big. Gnosticism was big. And he's saying, hey, church, hey, church, don't be taken captive by that stuff. Be discerning. Be discerning, right? And I love this because he says, rather than on Christ. What is the answer? How do we become discerning? How do we prevent ourselves from being taken captive by the world's philosophy? You gotta focus on Christ. You gotta focus on Christ, right? Colossians two, one through three says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely what? Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. He says, hey, church, don't get caught up in that stuff of the world. Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. I love this quote by John Blanchard. Philosophy is the search for truth. In Jesus, the search ends. Right? And here he says, okay, so so here's what I'm going to focus you on, church. Not just actions. I'm going to focus now on belief structure. Go to verse 9. It says, so he says, hey, don't be taken captive. And then he says, verse 9, belief structure. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He says, hey, in Christ, he's talking about the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ, fully God, fully man. So he says, right, huge doctrinal statement. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, belief structure, right? And then 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority, right? I love the, uh, the other uh, version of that. Do we have that, Eileen? For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You know what he's saying there? He's like, hey, verse 9, don't be taken captive. Verse 8, don't be taken captive. Why? Because Jesus is fully God, right? All the deity abides him, and... Because you're in union with Christ, you're complete. You don't need add-ons. You're not lacking anything spiritually. You're already complete. It means filled, currently filled in Christ. You don't need to be searching for things. And that's, that's in, especially in our, in our culture of church, sometimes in church we, we kind of get caught up in, I need the latest experience. I need an experiential church. Or I need the latest fad or the latest teaching. And we're kind of looking for something, even in the context of church, something new, something fresh, an add-on. And Paul is saying, hey, church, be real careful. Because in Christ, you are what? Complete. You are what? Complete, right? Entire. That word means entire, finished, made full, lacking nothing in Christ. So you don't need to go searching. You don't need to go searching for the latest, greatest, newest thing that's going to just sort of like light your emotions and get you excited. You've got to be real careful with that. You've got to be real careful with that. And that's what I try to be real careful with here. We love the lights and we love doing music well and we love the facility. There's a fine line between having people come here 
fall in love with Jesus, know they're complete in Christ, want to go live a life of newness, and then coming here and getting excited. Getting excited. We understand enthusiasm. I love enthusiasm for Jesus. But be very careful in your walk and in your experiences with churches that you're not just hunting for an add-on. Hunting because you feel like you're missing something because he's very clear here. Verse 10, you have been given fullness of Christ. You are complete in him. You are complete. J. Vernon McGee is in your notes. says, complete is a nautical term, and it could be translated in this very vivid, vivid way. You are ready for the voyage of life in him. I love that. You are ready for the voyage of life in him. How many of you have ever gone through, going on a trip and you just check and recheck that you got everything you need? Anyone, right? You go through the checklist, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and finally, right, you're like, I got it. Are you ready? We ready for the trip? Haven't forgotten anything? Right? You're ready. In Christ, you're ready. You don't lack anything. You're complete. He's like, let's go. Let's go. Whether you've been a believer for one day or ten years, you're complete. Now, you may not know and appropriate everything yet, but you're not lacking anything. You can go right now. You can go right now. Take this the right way. You don't need another Bible study to go. You got everything already. You're you're good to go. That's the title of the sermon. You're good to go, man. You're good to go. Do you believe that, though? Do you believe that you're good to go, right? On Tuesday, you you guys camped on this verse, 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory, right? He's given us everything we need. We're good to go. We're good to go. There was a, a, a commercial I saw, a Super Bowl commercial from years ago, a FedEx commercial. And this FedEx employee is a parody of the movie Castaway. You guys remember Castaway, Tom Hanks on this island, right? So the Super Bowl commercial, this FedEx employee gets stranded on an island, and there happened to be a, a box, a FedEx box, and he just commits that he's going to not open it. So for years, he's da-da-da, just like Castaway, right? There. He gets rescued. Brings the box to the lady's door and says, hey, you know, I've been on an island for years and I committed to bring this box to you. Here you go. She goes, oh, thank you, thank you. All right, she's about to close the door. He goes, hey, by the way, what was in it? Right, curiosity. And she opens up right in front of him and goes, oh, nothing much. Satellite phone, fishing pole, water purifier, and seeds. He's sitting on everything he needs. Satellite phone, fishing pole, water purifier, and seeds. And it's just right there on the beach next to him for years. And I just got to think that the Lord's like, open the box. You know, I don't know how it all works. Get to heaven with our Bible, figuratively. Here you go. What was in it? Everything you needed while on that planet. Right? We're complete. We're complete in him. You just got to open the box. You just got to appropriate it. It's there for the taking, right? And I was thinking about this word complete. And maybe
maybe we struggle with this idea of accepting that we are complete. And it might just have to do with kind of where we come from, our experiences. Jeremiah 2.13 says this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Culturally, the, the source that everyone wanted to, in biblical times, they wanted the running water, the springs. It was running, it was fresh. Another source of water that people would do is they would dig a hole in the ground called a cistern, and they would coat it with some kind of plaster, and sometimes the plaster would crack, and so the water would seep out, or the water in the cistern would get murky and kind of nasty. And he's saying here that my people, they've forsaken me. They've left the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And I was thinking of that in terms of completeness. Are we still are we still looking for things in the world to complete us? Are we still searching for someone to make us feel complete on this planet? Are we still trying to attain that career status? Then I'll have a right. Then I'm complete. Are we Are we really believing that we're complete in Christ or do we really believe that we're still incomplete? And deep down, we're still searching for completeness in someone or something on this planet. That's a real question. And it, and it goes to a lot of different layers. And I was, I was processing, processing this. I grew up in a very, very performance-oriented family loving family but very performance oriented and my older brother and sister I love them dearly but by golly they were both valedictorians in their high school in our high school and so three years later I come along and somewhere along the line it was mostly my doing I picked up that unless I attained some sort of GPA and, and got into some college and yada yada I was incomplete I was incomplete. And I wonder how many of us would say, if blank, then I'll be complete. What would you say? If this happens, then I will be complete. Because that's even in the church. And so I bring that performance in this, this performance, GPA, academic, success-oriented thing in the church. And if I'm not careful, in my mind, I can transform this churchdom into my little kingdom of seeking completeness. Right here. Oh, when we get our own facility and not be renters, then we'll be complete as a church. When I have, you know a congregation of 150, then I'll be complete as a pastor. Otherwise, I'm still, you know, just we're just a glorified Bible study. You're not really a pastor because, 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 right? And it's something that I have to work through constantly because it's a heart check. It's a motivation check. Why do you do what you do? Are you still looking for someone or something, some marker from the world's philosophy that says, once you get this, then you're complete. 
Jeremiah 2.13 calls that a broken cistern. I don't know about you, but there have been things in my life growing up that I thought, once I get this, once, once I save up or once I get this from my parents or once I get this car or whatever, then I'm good to go. You ever have one of those things that you've been thinking like, if I get this, I'm not going to buy another thing. You ever say that to somebody? <laughs> Honey, I just need this. And once I get this, I promise I don't need another car. I promise I don't need another, right? Because in your mind, you've convinced yourself that this thing is going to make you complete. What happens when you get the thing? A week later. Gosh, that's, I should have got the other. Where's my receipt, right? What's the return policy? It's never ending if you're looking at it from the world's perspective. You're just trying to fill up a broken cistern. You fill it up. You feel good for a little bit. It leaks out. And you're like, oh. Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in him. Woo! I got to tell you, we talked about carrying a bag of rocks. When you, th- when you understand and really believe you're complete in him, a lot of that bag of rocks just gets dropped off. Because this completeness can even seep into the approval of man. The approval of man. If he likes me, if he likes me, if he likes me, if she likes me, then I'm complete because then I'm in the in crowd. And once I get accepted by that crowd, I'm somebody. I'm complete. How many have ever been accepted by the crowd? And it left you wanting. You're like, I tried this hard to get accepted by you guys? Really? Peace out, right? Are we complete in Christ? Do we really believe that? Because when we do, it can flow out into everything. It can just flow out into everything. I love Jesus. It says, Jesus says in John 4, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Right? In Christ, we have this completeness, this well that's just coming from the inside out. From him. From him. From him. Right? Do you believe that, though? Do you believe that? And in an area that, that this is really important to, to understand, this completeness has to do with self-image, your identity, how you see yourself. How you see yourself, right? There's a, uh, a concept in sociology called the looking glass self. Right? Charles Horton Cooley He says this, the degree of personal insecurity you and I display in social situations is determined by what you believe other people think of you. So what they're saying in this looking glass self is that I begin to see myself the way that I believe you all see me. Can you see how how horrible that is? We begin to develop this this very negative, warped, in-bondage self-image because through the looking-glass self, we're just trying to figure out what everyone else thinks of us. And what they think, what I think, what I think Marco thinks about me becomes how I think about myself. What a trap. What a trap that that we become so bound, so fear-driven, we lose our identity even in Christ, because all I'm trying to figure out is how to get you to change your image of me because my image of me is just based on how you, I think you think about me. 
right? Instagram? How come on Instagram everyone's life is perfect? And they're having a great time. Right? They're just posting stuff and they're all traveling and it's this, it's that, right? Everyone wants to portray this. I got it all together. And then everyone who looks at it is like, dude, my life's horrible compared to that. Right? We live in this weird culture of validation where we're seeking validation in social media, validation in, in, in relationships, because I'm still trying to figure out, how do you see me, Mark? How do you see me? Because that, right? So question for us is, in your circle of friends and family, who are you being influenced by? Meaning, who carries weight in how you think they think about you? Right? Who are you trying to get the approval from? Who are you trying to please? Who do you feel incomplete around? a hard place to be except for the fact that in Colossians 2.10 it says what? You are complete in him. So as a believer, who should be the number one person that you seek to know how he thinks about you? Jesus! If you and I will set our minds on things above, well, if you and I will understand biblically how Jesus sees us, that's going to have a profound impact. On how I see me. Amen? That's why we teach the Bible here. Because we so want you to see how Jesus sees you. We so want you to see how Jesus sees you. And let that, let him be the primary influencer in how you see yourself. Amen? That's what matters here. See yourself as Jesus sees you at the belief level. At the belief level. And then everything will start to flow. You might have that joy. Why are you smiling about? I'm, I'm a masterpiece. Who said? God. Put that on someone and just watch their face when you say God. God told me I'm a masterpiece. How many of you see your kids? You tell them something and they light up. Why? Because they believe you. Kids have this childlike faith. You say something, they trust you. Okay. Go back to the childlike faith of just receiving what God says about you, right? Robert McGee says, We are deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally acceptable, and complete in Christ. Powerful truths. Powerful truths, right? I've shared with you, I kind of condensed that because this really ministered to me. And in your notes it says, right, we are complete. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. What else are we? The Bible says we're loved. Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So you're complete. You're loved. I love this. You're accepted. So many of us, we're still, I, I, I tell people, you know, peer pressure doesn't end in junior high and high school. There's a bunch of adults still wanting to be accepted, right? 
But in Christ, Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 1 John 3.1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So we're what? Complete? Loved? I'm going to say loved? Accepted? And last one, pleasing. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified again. It's a legal term. Declared not guilty, fully righteous. Declared not guilty, fully righteous. Do you believe it? Declared not guilty, but not just zero, but now fully righteous. You are pleasing because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? So in Christ, I am what? Complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. All right, say it again. In Christ, I am complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. I only go to the last slide, right? So if you've been with me before, you clap. All right, you got to get this because this is, this is what God says about you, all right? So I am. I share that with you because these biblical truths helped me even in early ministry. I used to get really nervous, really concerned about what would people think about me when I taught. And, and before, before the sermon and everything, I'd be all nervous and praying, and I had learned this. And so I'm there like this in my seat. <laughs> complete love, accepted, pleasing. Complete love. I would do this before I preach. I'd be like, complete love. To overcome the fear of man and the approval of man and the performance trap. So that I could go out in who I am in Christ. In the knowledge that I am complete loved, accepted, pleasing. And just let it flow in the spirit. See, God wants you to know you are What? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who we are in Christ. Thank you that when we are bombarded by the things of the world, the hollow and deceptive philosophy, that we can say, no, I am complete in Christ. I have everything I need in Christ. I lack nothing in Christ. And then we're loved. We're accepted. We're pleasing in Christ. Lord, what, a, what an incredible springboard to freedom, to just enjoy you. We don't have to live under guilt and condemnation and wondering when we, you're going to be mad at us again for messing up, Jesus. No. We are complete. We are loved. We are accepted. We are pleasing. Right now, as we sit in these chairs, At the belief level. That you will give us the courage to truly make it a conviction of our heart. A a, a stake in the ground regardless of our past. Regardless of the lies that have been planted in us. Regardless of the people who are the naysayers in our life. Regardless of the false beliefs we have bought into. Lord, today. Today. 
we choose by an act of our will to say in the authority of God's word, I am complete, loved, accepted, pleasing on the authority of Scripture, regardless of even how I feel on the authority of Scripture, the truth of God's word. I am complete, I am loved, I am accepted, I am pleasing. I have everything I need for life and godliness because I am a child of God. Lord, please, 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 renew our minds to really see us as you see us. To see us, to see me as you see me. And if you're here, you've been seeking broken cisterns, if you've been hunting to find completeness in somebody or something on this planet, then just confess it. Say, Lord, I have felt incomplete. I have been seeking a person. I have been seeking money. I have been seeking prestige. I have been seeking approval. I have been seeking, I have been seeking, and it's all broken cisterns. So, Lord, forgive me for that. And, Lord, today, faith in scripture I believe that I am complete I am 100% complete in Christ and if you have never received Christ receive him today and the glorious truth is we are saved by grace through faith and the minute you put your faith in Jesus guess what you are complete loved accepted and pleasing right now right now. That is the supernatural, beautiful truth of the gospel. Through faith in Jesus, all of this is yours immediately. Immediately. So the best way you know how is put your faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. By faith, receive the gift of salvation today. And so, Lord, we, we prepare for the communion table. We do this once again in remembrance of you, Jesus. And now, Lord, today, perhaps we do it in a spirit of celebration. In the spirit of the biblical truth that we are complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. We clap because of what you did for us on the cross. Thank you that you make broken things beautiful. Thank you that we are your masterpieces. Thank you that we are complete.